messed up my ears so my hearing is a little weird right now it's kind of muffled um, it happened during COVID as well so when you speak I am going to do my best to hear you if I go what I'm not doing that annoying thing where people are just being condescending like what no I honestly can't hear you <laughs> so I'm doing my best okay today we're looking at first John 2 3 through 11 the title is know and obey to be happy in Jesus. We're going to be looking at this kind of constant circular situation for us where we know we love, we obey, and we know we love and we obey. And this is kind of how you know. This is kind of an assurance for your life. Um, The main idea of the lesson that they had in the book is true followers of Jesus will have assurance in their salvation because they know, love, and obey him. Um, And again, I think it's good to see it like this. It's not kind of like you have assurance based off of some list somewhere, or like, oh, I have assurance there. It's not like insurance, right? It's not like, um, oh, I know I'm fine there. Here, let me go check my files. (laughs) Like, see, I'm good. I have a file here that says I'm good. This is a constant circulating thing in your life, and you know that it's going. And you know when you're kind of like wandering from it. Or if for a non-Christian, maybe you're witnessing to a non-Christian, you know that they don't have this going. So they shouldn't have any assurance. So there's an engine. There's an engine to being a Christian that gives assurance. Uh, When you turn on the engine and you hear that nice purr and you're like, I think I'm going to get to work okay today. (laughs) You know that same pattern in the Old Testament? Sure. When they knew they loved and they obeyed. Yes. Yeah, we're going to kind of kind of get into that today because in the text, and here we'll read it here in a sec. In the text, it talks about how this is like, this isn't an old commandment, but it is an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. And I give you a new command, but it's also old. I don't know. So <laughs> it's a little interesting. Um, here, I'll read uh, three through six, and somebody could read the rest. We're in First John two three through eleven. I'll read 3 through 6. 1 John 2, 3 through 11. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Someone want to read 7 through 11? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and 
because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Awesome. So we're asked a lot. Of, we're faced with a lot of questions here. Um, two pretty common ones being: Is it possible to know God and live like the devil? Is it possible to truly know God and have no life change at all? Um, I think these are questions we've all faced from time to time as Christians, and probably even more so before we were Christians, um, or maybe as new Christians. I think the question we kind of face now or at least a lot of Christians in our world, our brothers and sisters around the world probably face is, can I be selfish and live this life of kind of hidden sin or live this life of like a, uh, an, an imbalance of priority? Like this life of like, I, when I'm at church, I act like this, but when I go home, I read like crime novels and I don't do anything else. Like, I don't read my Bible, and I don't pray for anybody. You know, like this imbalance of, like, basking in God's blessings as opposed to doing, keeping his commands and then enjoying his blessings on top of that. Um, I think that's kind of the big thing we face uh, with keeping his commands is an imbalance of our time because we're so rich in this country and we have, like, time to spare. Um, I can go to church... Uh, can I go to church every Sunday, identify as a Christian, but just keep filling my life with my hobbies and my relationships that don't answer the call of the gospel? I think that's a really tough question for us right now. Um, there's a pastor named Adrian Rogers. He was served three terms as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's now dead. He sees Christ face to face now. But he said, study the Bible to know about God but obey the Bible to really know God. So study it. We can read this as much as we want to know about him, but until we start to actually do what it says, we're not going to really know him. Um, according to Adrian Rogers, and I agree, um, the Apostle John would agree too. He explained in 1 John that it is, it's one thing to say you know God, but it is another to really know him. And to help us... Uh, know that we have come to know him, as verse 3 says, which I love that phrase. Um, John provides a threefold test uh, that he returns to again and again in this letter, and we can put them into the form of three questions. So the first one we did last week with Mike, and the question for the theological test was, um, or is, do I believe the right things about Jesus? Um, uh, we may call that the theological test. If you look back, it's things kind of like... Because um, it talks about the message specifically. And walking in the light, right? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If I'm walking in darkness, I'm not walking in the word of God. I'm not walking in the truth. So I'm not really theologically sound whatsoever. Uh, so the two we're going to look at today is the moral test and the ethical test. And a lot on the moral test and a little bit on the ethical test today. Although you could probably do more of either. It depends on just how it feels for the day because it's such, a, such an eternal book. But um, the second question for the moral test is, do I obey the commands of God? Very simple, but very cutting. Do I obey the commands of God? That's uh, verses 3 through 6. 
And third, do I love others? They specifically talk about brothers um, in this section. You could probably, going by Jesus' words, you could probably apply that to enemies and others, but we'll focus. It seems like he wants to, us to focus on each other uh, for this section, so we'll focus on that. But it doesn't disclude, I don't think, enemies or anything like that. So the ethical test of do I love others, 7 through 11. And the goal with these tests, John's goals are always so wonderful um, in his gospel and the epistles. That's why they're so, these books are so good to go to um, at any time, whether you're on top of the world or whether things are really bad. These books are so good to go to because his goals are so loving. Um, and his goal here is that we would live in the assurance of our salvation and thereby be happy in Jesus all the days of our lives. It's a wonderful goal. Uh, that we would be blessed citizens of Christ's kingdom, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning, you know, the Beatitudes. If we obey his commands, we will be blessed. So, looking at 3 through 6 again, uh, does somebody want to read 3 through 6 again, please? Okay. Sure. And by this, you know what we have come to know, to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Amen. So this is the moral test here. You may wonder to yourself sometimes, um, just like I think we can get caught up in like the imbalance of love. Like God is so loving, how could I love him? Um, who am I to be able to love the Lord? Um, what could I possibly do to convey my love for the Lord? Uh, look at look at all the Psalms David wrote. Could I ever do that? Whatever that may be. But um, John is answering the question uh, right here for us. And um, Christ actually answered it too in John 14, 15. Uh, fill in the blank. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Exactly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoa, there it is, right? It's not some uh, confusing high school relationship, right? It's like, I don't know what he likes. I don't know. I don't know what to get him. Or it's just like, I can't read her. She's crazy. Like, I try to do something and she just hates me. I don't know. It's like, it just obey me and you love me. Done. Done. Very simple. Very easy. Um, uh, Davies mentioned him a lot, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and a theologian of great Christian testimony. Um, he was in prison and he was hanged by the Nazis. He said on this topic, only, oh, hey, uh, only he who believes is obedient. Okay, only he who believes is obedient, but he also said, only he who is obedient believes. So you kind of, it's all this cycle. You can even add in just believing in these uh, arrows probably. Only he who believes is obedient, only he who is obedient believes. So both to love God and to know God is to obey God. Um, which, of course, we find this cycle, and we talk, he talks about this later in the text, but we find this cycle like fully realized in real in a person, in Jesus Christ. Like, he did it. 
you know? Um, so it's a real thing. It's not just like uh, something that we slowly get a taste of more and more of in our lives. We get to see a picture of it in the Word of God. And get to be like, okay, so that's possible, you know, <laughs> like whether it's seeing an amazing athlete on TV or whatever, it's like, okay, so that's what it's like to be really good. How do I get to there? Um, we see that in Christ in the Gospels. Um, knowing God and loving God are these very intimate ideas that John uses throughout this entire epistle. And he uses these two very specific Greek words 40 times each throughout the epistle. So they're going to come back quite a bit um, through all five chapters. Let me just put this. We kind of know this already because of what we have here. But a good way to remember it with words is to know God... is to love God to know God is to love God and to love God is to obey God this is kind of just one of those good tenets to just keep in your heart to keep in your mind, kind of like that other one, the one with James and Peter, where it's like, um, works, don't pro- works don't produce faith, but faith produces works. It's like a very simple statement that answers so many questions. <laughs> and this is one of those statements. To know God is to love God, and to love God is to obey God. Um, which can serve you so greatly at so many times, like, I want to know God more. I feel like I've been really struggling. Well, are you loving him? I think so. How do I know? Well, are you obeying? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> like, I do sometimes, but I don't seek to. Well, it seems like a lot of people struggle with that obey. You know, you want to get, you know, the analogy, they get right, instead of, you got that road on the, on the mountain there in the cliff, they want to be right there at the edge. Right. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't want to be in the middle or, you know, they want to, well, how far, you know, how, how far can I push this sin? How far can I do whatever it is and still mm-hmm. obey God? Yeah. That's what, it seems like that's a big problem. In that's, that's the spirit of legalism because hmm. you have that measuring rod, right? That's, I mean, that is the spirit of legalism because even if you're very righteous Good point. Yeah, it's spooky being close to that line. In other words, yeah, yeah. In other words, if I just come, if I just come to Sunday school or well, I just say Sunday school, church once a month, is that good enough? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. And, and, and I don't know about good enough, but <coughs> if we love God, our desire would be to want to get together on a continual basis to be with fellow believers and understand God. And there's not a, you gotta be in church, church every time the church door is open, that's not what I'm saying, but. Mm. So 
Yes. So this is the opposite of the spirit of legalism, right? This is the spirit of grace and love. Mm-hmm. It's a totally opposite perspective, or totally different perspective. Yeah, we'll get into that more. Like, it's not a man-made thing. Like, this is not a man-made thing. Like, at all. <laughs> this is this is Romans 7, Romans 8 stuff. This is like, this is not the flesh, this is the spirit kind of stuff. So, the whole, like, I'm going to stay close to the line, that's a man idea. That has nothing to do with what Christ ever said. He never said, like... Kind of like, you know, do what you can, but have a little fun, you know? Or, I'm going to go to church every Sunday, and anybody else who doesn't sucks. It's like, he didn't say that either. (laughs) He just said, do this. Um, It's very, way better than uh, our ways of trying to piece it together. You know, once you send that, even in giving, right? You always hear, well, 10%, 10%. And, well, if you really study the Old Testament, what they gave was more like 30%. But you know, in the New Testament, God didn't put any of that down there. He says, "Give as you, give as you uh, uh, can." I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, and joyfully, right? Or the woman with what, like a tenth of a penny or whatever, right. gave everything she had. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah there's that uh, kind of that engineer uh, uh, down there in Texas. Uh, what's his name? Dirt movers and stuff. He he did. He said, "Lord, if." You, you know, I promise I'll give you, uh, I'll live on 10% and give you 90%. Mm-hmm. Paternal, there we go. And paternal. I mean, the money that that, there we go, well, if I could live on each 10%, I'd be happy. I dare anybody to say that. I don't care how much you made, even if you made as much as Laterno did. To see that 90% go to the Lord, you know what I'm saying? Whew. And, That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they gave a really cool, there's a really cool part in the book. Um, There's this pastor named Matt Carter. I'll just read it. Uh, Matt Carter applies this truth in this way. He says, when I'm participating in an interview with someone, we're thinking about adding to our church staff. Okay, a pastor adding somebody to the church staff. I let others ask the detailed questions. So they all do that. He delegates that. And then I ask the candidate only one question. I ask him or her. And he asks, when was the last time the thought of the gospel made you weep? Why do you think he asked that question as a key, like, a key point of knowing about that person, whether they're good for church staff or not? When's the last time the gospel made you weep? An inward look, okay. Inward look, okay. When was the last time it made you weep because you knew that you weren't perfect? Yeah. Sure. Well, I want to do this over this book. Yeah, okay, that's fine. When was the last time you wept because you know you're not there? Sure. And you could say it to you could say it on the other side, right? You could say okay. you wept because you found yourself doing things that you could never do. Yeah. Either side, okay? So from what you just said, our entrance here then of this cycle is obedience, right? It's like, I wept because I wasn't good enough to do this or because I, God did do it through me and it was so strange <laughs> to have something good done that I cried. Well, why does that make you cry? Because it's connected to your love for Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what I think he was getting at there. 
is that he knows over his time being a, a pastor and studying the Bible, he says, uh, quote, because I've realized there is a direct connection between a person's love for Jesus and that person's obedience to him. So when you have that connection and then just knowing him more and more, um, it's impossible for followers of Christ who are being sanctified like in life's storming whirlwind of like broken hearts and people saying crappy stuff and people cutting you off on the highway and all whatever all this crazy stuff uh, that we deal with in America um, and other places far worse trying to find food being abused whatever it may be um, it's impossible to do that and then cling to this mast right you're in the storm and you're clinging to this to the mast of Jesus Christ and this is your cycle of loving and obeying and knowing Christ, it's impossible to not get sentimental from time to time. Um, and it's just my opinion, but I don't really think that it's a weak thing to cry about God. I think it's far weaker to not. Um, if God hasn't really brought you to a point of tears, like, I'm not saying like it's a be-all, end-all, but it's kind of a good indicator. Like, it kind of destroys you. <laughs> like, it's too emotional. It's, it's, it's too much of a heavy thing. It's, it's something that um, is so, it's your soul. Like, it affects your soul. It grows your soul. That's going to make you a little weepy-weepy from time to time. Um, let's look at a three through four again. In three through four, he says, um, that which we have seen, oh, no, that's too far, too far back. Three and four, chapter two. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Um, so what do we do uh, in these verses? Uh, they tell us that we will know that we know God if we do what again? We will know that we know God if we do what again? Keep these commandments. Sure. And the Greek word there... I looked at the pronunciation multiple times. I'm probably going to still badger it. Tarev? Tarev? We're going to go with Tarev. I wanted it to be Terio, like stereo. But I'm pretty sure it's time. And uh, this word is a great word. That's why he uses it. Um, what, do you think, what do you think is the key word that this word means? Keeping. It's for keep and keeping. Taria. What, what kind of keeping do you think that is? Just a guess. I'm not going to expect you to know Greek. Keeping hmm? I'm sorry, what? Lemons? Oh, limits, sure. Oh, okay. That's pretty close to it because it's it's basically guarding. So like you've got your and you guard it. Nobody don't come in here. So like the limits, right? Um we want to keep his commandments to the point where we are guarding his commandments like like precious treasure. Um which that's just thinking about that's probably a little bit convicting right now uh, <laughs> to think about like I'm going to try to not talk about perverse things as the equivalent of like I'm guarding 
this with my life. Like I refuse, you know, that's very different than uh, the way that I think we usually think about it. Um, I think we usually think about it this way. So does, does keeping God's commandments to you guys ever feel like a chore? <laughs> Big not. Is that, is that okay with you? That it feels that way? Yes and no. Ooh, hot take. Okay. Why? Yes, it is. Because it makes me realize that I'm on the wrong side of the line. Sure. Okay? And if I realize, I can see that I'm on the wrong side of the line, then I need to purposely get to the other side of the line. Yeah. And say, God, I'm that ditch again. Yeah. Put me back on the road. Mass back at this one. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think to add to that, it's intentional. It's like any other relationship you have where you have to be intentional about your decisions, your choices that you make every day. Hmm. Um, you have to do that in marriage, in a friendship. You know, why would it be different in your relationship with God in needing to be very conscious and intentional? And to Jorge's point, that reveals your humanity and says, okay, I'm on the wrong side of the tracks. I, I know this, I'm conscious of this, and I now have a choice to make. I can be intentional about putting up that guard and those barriers and saying, I want to live this way instead of that way. Yeah. That's a really good point. How can it be a chore if I am that mentally, you know, tied into it, if I'm that emotionally tied into it, if I'm theologically sound, how can it be a chore um, when I'm supposed to be burning and dead, um, uh, but I've been made alive and able to live this loving relationship with God, how could it be a chore? Oh, that's great. I'm happy it's not It's not okay with anybody, right? Is anybody okay with, like, it feels like a chore? Nah, I'm fine. That's all right. Like, that's just kind of how God is. I grew up in the church. He's just kind of like, whatever. And I just, you know, I just kind of do what I can. I don't know. I don't really care. If you put the first control on and you stay on, on, on your lane, yeah. and you, 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 that's not you working. Yeah. And as I was uh, studying this, uh, it kept bringing me back to like this kind of, I know there's probably a lot of ways to really apply this, but it kept bringing me back to this very real problem that we can have as Christians to feel kind of defeatist when it comes to um, keeping God's commands. Um, this way of kind of being like, either it feels like a chore, or it feels so impossible, or I screwed up last week so I don't really feel like I can now, um, or I did last night so I don't want to go to church, whatever it may be, there's this very defeatist attitude um, that doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really, that doesn't at all, <laughs> mesh with what God is telling us about Christ and what he's telling us about ourselves because of what Christ did. It doesn't match at all. Um, And it's a scary place to be. Now, it's not that it's without reason, um, but it it feels, so it feels like this. Uh, I wrote this. It feels like the world is telling you, like, Um, here's the situation in front of you. Here's the circumstance in front of you. 
Um, there's good and there's bad. Like you're either you're gonna do some good this week and you're gonna send some this week, and that's just gonna be the way that it is. And then here's here's the here's the deceiving like ninja move right that Satan does with the world. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be bad. So that should be your attitude. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Where did this come from? That's not biblical at all. Um, our ability to identify the good and the bad, that's discernment that makes total sense. But this weird part where we then take it and make it our attitude, like, if I sin, I sin. If I don't, I don't. Like, I don't really, you know, the cruise control. No, that's not biblical at all. And the, the, the tests that he's giving us are just like, Keep his commands. It's not like, you know, keep his commands if you can. I don't know. Like, do your best, whatever. Who cares? You know what I'm <laughs> it's very direct. Um, and everything about Christ is so direct in this way. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to make a worse thing of it, but something <laughs> keep, keep his commands is discipline, right? It's, you know, I, I had a young man working for me. And uh, he kind of made a profession of faith because he was mad. I mean, he had some stuff in his life that no child should have to go through. I mean, he was a lesbian mother, and he evolved from there. And, and because of that, he was married, had a wife, young kid, all kinds of stuff going on. And, and he, he thought once I received Christ, that God would just automatically remove all that crap out of his life. Hmm. There'd be no, I don't know what I want to use, temptation to do that. And, and he, he struggled with that. And I, I said, no part of the Christian life is, is discipline. Sure. He's warning that, you know, I've got to do that. You cannot let that no longer control you. You do have help. And he was, it's kind of interesting, he was mad at God because God should have made me a robot. I said, no, we're a free agent, you know. So, so part of keeping God's commandments a little bit is discipline, you know. But, of course, we're human, we have a tendency to take it too far. Yeah. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. I mean, no, it makes sense. The Pharisees, you know, well, we can't work on Sunday, so they had to define, well, what is work? Three steps? No, he can take four steps, but he can take that half, four and a half, he all of a sudden worked, you know. That's not what yeah. God's saying. And let's add a few more steps that get us some money, too. Right. Sorry. Yeah, so so I, I guess a, kind of that balance there, you know, of, of daily walking with Christ. It is, it is a discipline. It is, I mean, it's not on our own words, unless they mention those. Yeah, for sure. What's cool What's cool with this section and what he's kind of been getting at um, with the discipline is how it's tied into love. Um, you can turn there if you want, but Romans 8, because we'll look at Romans 8 and we'll look at Romans 7 for just a second. But Romans 8, if we tie this right, if we keep tying this back with what John said in the gospel, he says... If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's a very important, super, super important uh, structural point to this whole lesson. As Jesus said, and John was like, ooh, this is important, got to write it down. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And that continues our constant engine of what it's like to be a Christian. So if we look at Romans 8, uh, I was going to read a bunch, but I'll jump down. Um... 
I'll just jump down to 37, but you can kind of encompass the whole thing. Earlier, he's like, <clears throat> he's just talking about what's going to happen. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger mess with us as we are in Christ? So we go to 37, all these things that could ruin our lives, could separate us from God, right? He's, in verse 37, he says, no, in all these things, the opposite of a defeatist attitude, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. That whole section is just an anxiety killer. It's like, you want to have anxiety, read that section and believe it. Um, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is very important. And I'm not saying like this is the ultimate meaning of this text, but when we know the structure of John 14, 15, we can look at this a little bit differently and we can have some assurance. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then in this section, it tells us that uh, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're conquerors because he loved us. And then down here, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that this was perfected. He never sinned. He did this perfectly. And now, as Christians, the Holy Spirit is within us and our slates are wiped clean. So what's really frustrating about the defeatist Christian attitude is that it does not fit at all. <laughs> and it's been spoken about. Nothing can separate you from obeying God. Nothing can separate you from expressing your deep, passionate love for God by obeying him and then knowing him more and then loving him even more and then obeying him and then knowing him more and then loving him even more and then obeying him more. Nobody can take that away. It's not just like your salvation. It's, it's, it's the thing that keeps your salvation going. Nobody can take that away. Oh, so good. So I came to that realization. I wanted to share that with you. Now let's jump to verse 5. You will know his love perfectly. Uh, verse 5 again says, But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Ooh, that's good. Um, so keeping the commands of God is not a condition of knowing God, but it is a clear sign and an indication that we do know God. Um, I love God, so I obey God, and he is perfecting me in my ability to obey. So the more and more I do this, the more and more he perfects this cycle. It's, it's the opposite of the world. Uh, it's not like a truck engine that's new and it depreciates and depreciates and depreciates. We're the opposite. Everything in this world is dying because of sin. And because we've been wiped from sin, we're being it's the opposite. Like our bodies may be dying, our flesh may be dying, but we are getting better and better and better. And the engine of our existence, of our purpose and everything that we do is getting better and better and better because God is perfecting it. It's amazing. We take our hands off and a lot of stuff gets done. <laughs> we put our hands on and things kind of are really, really awful because we're so sinful. Um, I'll jump down to this. 
Um, let's just jump to verse 6 because of time. Um, you will know that you're abiding in Christ. And somebody want to read verse 6, please? Whosoever says he is abiding in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. So if I'm in him, I'm going to walk the way that he walked. Um, all this knowing and all this loving and obeying of God has been perfected in Christ. Uh, we can read about this, John 15, 5, um, when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is super important. So we're talking about the cycle and how important it is. Well, sometimes we can get caught up in the cycle and we can forget about Jesus. <laughs> we can just be thinking about like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to read? What do I need to think about? Basically, we can do these and kind of forget about this. But Christ says, I'm the vine. Like, apart from me, you can't do anything. It's because I perfected the cycle that you must stay connected to me or else you will not be able to do this cycle. And that's, that's super convicting because I feel like anytime people are kind of like going off the wayside or you talk to somebody and they're like, I'm just start, I just like don't care about church. Or you talk to somebody and they're like, I'm just like sinning. I know I shouldn't be, I'm just like sinning. It's usually a case of them not really spending time with Christ and staying connected to him. Not praying, not reading about him, not thinking about him not really understanding that his spirit is within them and it's a part of your life now. Um, it's usually a kind of like, just kind of a, it's not really, you can't really shove the spirit out, but you can ignore it. And that's usually what's going on. Um, the cycle isn't going to work if you're not um, trying to imitate Christ. If you're trying to take the cycle and make it into something else, it's not going to work. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians 5.1, he says again, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So the only reason we have this system is because it's God's system. And so the only reason it gets better is because we try more and more to be like him. You know, I was thinking, you know, that's one reason God compared, you know, the church and the way we are to marriage. Obviously, you can be married, and, but the more you love and know your spouse, the more that that whole thing blossoms. Now, just because you don't maybe love and know your spouse doesn't make you unmarried. As if you don't love God and obey Him, this, we're not talking salvation here. We're just talking the whole intimacy thing. There could be so much better mm -hmm. if you do everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He talks about very being so perfect. The more you know your your spouse, the better you love them, or the better you understand them. And just like Christ, the more we love Him, the more we obey Him. You know, and and uh, and know Him. I mean, just that whole thing there, just. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. what people forget there. That's really important. That's a really important point. Because I don't think that this system... Like, he's given us... Okay, he's given us examples of this system in friendship. He's given us examples in marriage, more so. And science, which is fine, 
might try to explain this away, maybe with some neurotransmitter stuff or something, I don't know. They might try to be like, if you do these things, it'll release the right chemicals and you'll be happy and you'll be in love. But the reality is, is that there's something very supernatural <laughs> going on when you are acting this way about your spouse. I think even to an extent, don't quote me too much, but to an, I'm still struggling with it. But even in non-Christian marriages, there's a type of blessing going on. It's certainly not the spirit within because they're not saved. But there's, he cares about marriage. He cares about it. And I think even in non-Christian, they get to taste a very small taste of it. Um, the same that a non-Christian can go out into the sea and be like, man, I'm really happy this all exploded this way. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Submitting. Not not so much just like do this, but the yeah the the coming under. Sure. Well, yeah. Even, and that's how they're so tied together. You can translate that. You know, John's talking about even talking about that as a family. You know, as a Christian family. You know, just because you're maybe not you separate yourself from your family. You know, I mean, parents have children that are maybe walking the Lord doesn't mean that they're not their children, right? Yeah. It's that whole concept right there that God gave us to, as a picture of showing what walking with Him is like. Yep, that's a good point. Uh, there's so many good pictures of this going on. Hopefully it uh, encourages us all to keep doing it and not just be like, that's, that's a separate thing. <laughs> that's so much more than a separate thing. Um, basically, I was just going to go through this thing of like, remember what Romans 8 says about love, right? But just, I'll just breeze over this. Just remember that the flesh and the spirit are different. Like Paul talked about this. The flesh and the spirit are very different. When it comes to keeping his commands, like there's a huge difference between an athlete in the Olympics and my athleticism as a Christian. Because I'm called to have athleticism as a Christian. I'm called to run the race. So what's the difference? The difference is that's a fleshly thing. This is a spiritual thing. I did not have anything to do with this. <laughs> like, I did, but not, not in making it happen. Like, I, I get to participate. But this is a spiritual thing going on. And it's being perfected more and more and more. Um, we shouldn't feel about it the same way that we feel about, like, an Olympic athlete. Just like, wow, I could never do that. Synchronize diving could never do it. That's not the point. It's not about you. It's not about your flesh. It's about him, what he did. He put the spirit of Christ in you. Now you can do things. Getting rid of thinking about yourself is what will help this keep going. So I just want to talk about that, but other, for sake of time. The other difference is I would never want to do synchronized diving. <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> synchronized flopping um, I could participate in synchronized flopping just one thing just jumping um, I picked the worst examples so the moral test we're taking again the moral test what's the moral test we're taking what's the question you can take it with you this week you can ask yourself yeah, will I follow, am I going to follow, am I following God's commandments? Am I going to follow them this week? Am I going to follow them today? 
uh, this person just really made me mad. Am I going to follow them right now? <laughs> like whatever. The moral test that John is giving us. And remember, John is giving this test because the churches that he is overlooking have dealt with false teachers and Gnostics who have come in and warped everything up. And he's reminding them, these are your core beliefs. And I need you to know that you are Christians. And then from here, we can try to rebuild what's going on. So this, is, this keeps us believing by helping us remember our core beliefs. The next test is the ethical test. Uh, does somebody want to read 7 through 11 again? Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him is no cause for stumbling. But whosoever hates his brother is in darkness, walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Blind. So when he says beloved here in verse 7, He's talking to Christians at the time. He's talking to Christians now. The word is agapete, agapetos. 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 Got to get the Italian in there. Agapetos. And um, it means dear. It means favorite. It means worthy of love. But as you can tell, it comes from the Greek word of the four kinds of love, the greatest kind of love, agape. Um, which is unconditional. It's God's love for us, kind of what we talked about just a moment ago in Romans 8. God's love for us that we then have reciprocate with him because Christ enables us to reciprocate love. Um, without the, the, what Christ did and without the Holy Spirit, there's no way we'd be able to reciprocate that kind of love back to God and have this constant cycle going. But so... This just gives you an idea, like, this is the kind of, this is who we are. We are people who have been loved very, like, not very greatly, the most greatly out of anybody. And that's what God did for all of us. So now we need to start thinking about the ethical test, do I love others? And even just looking at the first word, it's hard to think about the times when you haven't. Because I certainly have had my times that I haven't. Or that I just get home from church and I'm like, what was that person talking about? Ugh. Like, why did that person say that thing about my sermon? Ugh. Um, it's hard to think about that when I just think about the first word he uses. So he's very, very smart in using that very quickly. Um, so it comes from that. We see this also. Uh, he'll use this word six times in the letter. Um, he uses this to continue to expand on God's commands. Um, but right here, just in this little section from 7 through 11, he just is zeroing in on one very particular command, just and that's the command to love. So just making sure we're on the same page here. Um, do you think that John thinks that, um, does John believe a right love for God. So does John believe a right love for God is essential for us to love each other? Like, do we need to have this first 
before we love each other. Just seeing if we're on the same page here. Or it's a, it's a yes from Jorge, it's a yes from Mike. Yes, oh yes, we all agree. <laughs> if I get this love right, then I can love others, right? Does that make sense? Okay, because if I'm getting my love from some other source, it's probably not gonna go very well. And if I'm focusing on this and then trying to take that and throw that into this, that's not gonna work at all. So just making sure we're on the same page there. Um, <clears throat> so God's love, it's been with us since we were saved. It's been with us since conversion. Um, Aiken, he believes that the Gospel of John was written before the letters of John. I agree with him. Uh, therefore, the letters of John assume a knowledge that comes from the Gospel of John. And in 1 John 2.7, which uh, again says, 1 John 2.7 says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. There's kind of this assumption that you know John 13, 34 through 35. And then Christ says this in John's gospel. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's where we get the new commandment part. But we know that this is also an old commandment, like Jorge pointed out at the beginning. This is also an old commandment. Because when we correspond verse 7 and 8, we can see that this commandment uh, that every Christian has had, uh, we've, they've had it before their conversion, uh, way back, this commandment was there in Leviticus 19.18. He said, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's been there since um, God's people with Israel. But Christ is saying, here's a new commandment, love one another. And I think the reason that he's saying that, and I, if, if, if I'm wrong, just let me know. I think the reason he's saying that is because his new kingdom is coming in. Like with Christ is the usher of the new kingdom. Like the kingdom is at hand. And so before it's for God's people, it's for the people who sojourn and they adopt um, the God of the Israelites. But now there's this new thing coming in of like, this is the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is everybody. And everybody that believes this needs to love each other like I loved them. So it's not new in the way of difference. It's new because the kingdom is new and the kingdom um, and the kingdom implies a law. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom applies law. It's like in the scope, right? The scope is bigger. It's like, and that's again, like we talked about in our studying the Bible class, that isn't God being like, I'm going to, I'm going to do better now. That's not that over the course of history, God reveals himself more to us. It's not that he does better and earlier he did worse as he reveals himself more and things get better because he reveals himself more. Yeah, in the true light we see the demonstration of love that, that we didn't see, they didn't see in the old day. Now, yeah, the true light we see what love really is, which we'll get more into as, as yeah. it goes on. But, um, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And is that, that's later too, right? Yeah, well, climax is that God is love, 
so many verses. Well, yeah. They, they because, the, sorry, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right, right, right. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, even the Jewish nation don't test you know, they have a love for their Jewish brothers, but what God was trying to get them to do was to love their neighbors, aka, you know, Samaritans. Sure. They were half Jews, so they couldn't love them. But yeah. They had, they had a lower status, and Christ says, no. Mm -hmm. That was never the plan. It's never been the plan. But I, you know, I sent you here in the middle of where I did for you to be a witness of my love to everyone. And you guys had a tendency to focus inward. Yeah, it's amazing because Christ was, was able to anticipate, not even just then, but he was able to anticipate now and through all time the way that we would respond to his truth. That we would all take it and then we'd all come up with our own versions of it and we'd start to hate each other. And be like, or, we, or we'd be like, that verse only applies as you do it to, to benefit me. But as I have to do it to benefit you, it doesn't apply, so... You know, and then we just start hating each other and being selfish. You know, this, this, this would be a great section of scripture for a church that's having sort of like a schism, you know, whether it be over, you know, doctrine or, or you know, or something that's... Go over this and to realize that this is darkness. Yeah. When you're not treating your brothers, sisters in love, you're entering into darkness. And so, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, besides the personal level, this is good for, you know, I mean, it is within the context of the church. That is so, so true. It's so key. Like, that's true for the church. It's true for yourselves. Like, when things are getting bad, John is so useful because he breaks it down so easily. He's like, are you walking in darkness or not? And you can almost always, I'm not going to say almost, you can always, uh, maybe even might need help from other Christians to know, maybe you're a little confused, but you can always identify what's going on. Am I walking in the light or am I walking in darkness? John's like, I was there, I talked to the guy, I know exactly how to use this as a metaphor to indicate what's going on. And it's the same thing with the church. It's like, guys, this is darkness. We're not, we're missing the whole point. Like we're missing the big picture of uh, what we're supposed to be looking like. Um, we're almost, we're pretty much out of time, but the key of the ethical test is to ask yourself, do you love others? Again, it's always been there, but it's a new command because of these reasons, like we said. Um, the true light was Christ that came into the world, the truth, right? He came in. The word of God has always been here, but he was like the embodiment of the word of God. And the, a key part is like we just said before, um, it is a new commandment that I write to you, which is true in him and in you. It's true, this commandment, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Because Christ came, because he died on the cross, he proved himself to be the king by doing what he did and by raising from the dead <laughs> to be God and man that is why it is true it is shining and uh, as John says in his gospel the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it that's where we are the light is winning every day and the darkness is losing every day um, and that's why we should love one another and he says in multiple places like you should love each other because if you love each other, people will see that light. 
They will be. They will know that I am real. He says it in multiple places. I don't have the verse right now. Um, and uh, just uh, not to skip it, verse eleven, just as a warning sign. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we'll end on a we'll end on a bad note. <laughs> we'll end on we'll end on a little spooky like ugh, let's end the lesson spooky. If you want to hate your brother, four things are going to happen to you. You are in darkness, which means you are spiritually dead. You walk, live in darkness. You live in darkness. You do not know where you're going at all, and you are blind. So if you have any reason to hate your brother right now, which you very well may be, and I don't want you to feel ashamed. It's, it's very normal to, to have sin problems. If you have anybody in the church or anybody in a past church, whatever it may be, you would hate your brother. Really take some time to consider this week of just why it's so important that you don't because, not because of anything that you did, not because you're the synchronized diver, but <laughs> because of what God did and what he calls us now. He calls us agapetos. <laughs> like unconditional, the ones that I love unconditionally because of what my son did for you. That's why we love others. Not because of anything that we did, but because of what he did. So just this week, take the moral test and the ethical test. Uh, so the moral test, do you want to ask yourself this week, what do you want to ask yourself? <laughs> I hear murmurs. Will I keep his commandments? And then the ethical test, what will you ask yourself this week? We love our others based on us being God. Awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you.